First Corinthians chapter 14. Verse 1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. That's where we'll stop for right now. We're going to talk about this morning the gift of tongues. It's the one gift spiritually that is primarily given for the benefit of the individual, and it's not primarily given for the benefit of others. So we're going to focus on this this morning as the first of the spiritual gifts that we'll look at. It's also, obviously, the most controversial of the spiritual gifts for many reasons on many levels. In fact, in some circles, if someone claims to speak in tongues, he or she is thought to be some sort of a kook, you know, because of the connotations that go with it. Yet, we find that the Lord Jesus predicted that in his name, believers in Christ would speak in new tongues, Mark 16, 17. We also see that the apostles that served with Jesus and the 120 that made up that group that were there on the day of Pentecost, they all spoke with tongues on the day of Pentecost. The mother of the Lord Jesus, Mary, was in that group, so she spoke with tongues. Later, Paul the Apostle spoke in tongues. And so obviously, it's not something for kooks. Mary, the mother of the Lord, spoke with tongues. Paul the Apostle spoke with tongues. Jesus predicted that it would happen as a sign that would follow believers wherever new believers were made. And so for these reasons, and because the gift of tongues was freely exercised by the apostolic church, we should have at least three convictions with regard to the gift of tongues. Number one, we should believe that it is a valid gift of the Spirit. Number two, we should be open to it, that it should be exercised in individuals' lives and in the proper way in the body of Christ. And we should also be even open to receiving it personally. Now the Lord is someone who gives those kinds of choices to us. The level of openness we have for specific spiritual gifts is our choice. He encourages us to be open. Uh, the outline of our study this morning, our greatest possible pursuit, agape, God's favorite kind of spiritual gifts, the uselessness of tongues in the body of Christ, we'll explain that, the blessing of tongues in the body of Christ, we'll explain that, bottom line, the church must be mature with regard to spiritual gifts. So we have in our passage that we just read, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So pursue love. That's our greatest possible pursuit. Now, chapter 12 is where Paul begins to describe the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 14 is where he deals with this very sensitive issue of how the gift of tongues and where the gift of tongues is to be exercised within the church. Sandwiched between the bottom slice of chapter 12 and the top slice of chapter 14 is chapter 13, which is the chapter on love. And Paul is very clear that you could speak with the tongues of men and angels, and if you don't have love, it profits you nothing. 
You could have all faith to move mountains. And if there is not agape or love flowing from the life, that profits nothing as well. Bottom line is that agape or love describes the way that the spiritual gifts are to be exercised, the motive by which the gifts of the Spirit are to be exercised. If you look in your text, at the very end of chapter 12, Paul's been talking about spiritual gifts, and then he says, yet I show you a more excellent way. What does he show them? He shows them about agape. This is the more excellent way. Want to talk about gifts? We want to focus on how they are to be exercised, which is by God's love and with that as its motive. The truth of the matter is that the possession and exercise of spiritual gifts in an individual's life does not indicate that person's maturity spiritually. Just because somebody exercised a particular spiritual gift does not mean that that person is spiritually mature. The Corinthian church was a carnal group of people. They were suing one another. They were preferring one teacher over another. There were many rampant sins still to be dealt with within their congregation. They were carnal. Paul told them that. They were fleshly. Yet, in chapter 1, verse 7, Paul told them that every single gift of the Spirit was in operation in their church. And so they had all the gifts of the Spirit in operation, but they were obviously not mature. The conclusion we come up with is that the exercise of spiritual gifts does not necessarily mean that a person or a congregation is mature. But love does indicate spiritual maturity. In fact, love is the greatest indication of spiritual immaturity. Colossians 3.13 says that agape is the bond or seal of maturity or perfection. And so we focus after that. We look at that love is the greatest possible pursuit. So let's just get that in our mind. We're talking about wanting to have certain gifts of the Spirit, wanting to be uh, you know, free to exercise certain gifts of the Spirit. Love is the key. Without that, none of the gifts matter. Now what are God's favorite kind of spiritual gifts? Look at verse 1 again, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, which is a command, by the way, be earnest in your desire for spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets, that the church may receive edification. God's favorite kinds of spiritual gifts are the kind that build up others. And all of the gifts of the Spirit are intended to build up others, with the exception of the gift of tongues when used in one's own private life. That is for the purpose of building up that individual believer. Look again at the text. In verse 2 it says, The one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. That's very interesting, because on the day of Pentecost, the assembled crowds heard the disciples speaking in their own languages. In chapter 
2 verse 8, chapter 2 verse 11 of the book of Acts, it's very clear. Many commentators for that reason have stated that tongues are actually a miraculous power that was conferred upon the apostles in order that they might preach the gospel to all nations in their own respective languages. And so tongues are equated with the preaching of the gospels, the ability to do it so that people in many language groups can understand the preaching of the gospel. But I want you to note in verse 2 of our text before us what the Bible actually says about that. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Speaking in tongues is not speaking to human beings. Speaking in tongues is speaking to God. Speaking in tongues is not speaking to human beings. Speaking in tongues is speaking to God. It is a supernatural ability to speak to God in a language that the speaker does not know, has not learned. And in that speaking of that tongue to God, mysteries are being communicated in the Spirit. At Pentecost... When they all spoke with tongues, they were speaking in tongues before the crowd had even gathered. There was no preaching there. And they overheard what was happening. They saw the disciples. What would they hear them saying? They heard them proclaiming the wonderful works of God because they were worshiping God in their tongues. They heard that, but the crowds themselves were not being addressed. The speaking in tongues was not talking to people. Peter, when he finally did address the crowd on the day of Pentecost, he spoke to them in the common language that every single person from those 15 different language groups that were gathered could understand. He spoke to them in the vernacular, in other words. And this is a very important point. Speaking in tongues is speaking to God in a language that one does not understand. So the question might be at this point, who will speak in tongues? And the answer is, not everyone will speak in tongues. If you look at the end of chapter 12, a series of questions are asked. God has appointed certain gifts within the church. Are all apostles? What's the answer? No. Are all prophets? What's the answer? Teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? The intended answer is no. Not all will speak with tongues. Not all will interpret. But if you look at verse 5 in our passage, it is interesting that it was Paul's desire that all would speak with tongues. He says, I wish that you all spoke with tongues. That was his desire. That was his heart. That's what he hoped would take place. So because of that passage in verse 5, it may be that the question is not whether or not a person can receive the gift of tongues, but whether or not they will receive the gift of tongues. Some just don't want to, and that's fine. Again, the Lord is a gentleman. He gives us the ability to choose uh, regarding these kinds of things. So the favorite kind of gift that the Lord prefers and advocates within the body of Christ is the kind that is very much like prophecy. Because prophecy is all about other-centered sort of ministry. It's all about building other people up. It's all about encouraging other people. It's all about blessing other people, as it says in verse 3. 
And prophecy is a completely perfect example of the kind of gift that the Lord loves within the body of Christ. Think of every gift of the Spirit as being an enabling that God has given for the purpose of being a blessing to others so that the church might be strengthened. And that's a beautiful way and the right way to see these things. Now, having said that, we have to talk about the uselessness of tongues in the body of Christ. My wife pointed that out in the notes this morning. She said, did you see the word uselessness? Did you get that right? Yeah, I got it right. The gift of tongues, there is a uselessness of the gift of tongues within the body of Christ. What are we talking about? Well, let's read the text. Verse 6. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So, Paul's point here is that if someone speaks in tongues in a public assembly and there is no interpreter and there is no interpretation of that tongue, what good is it? It's a useless display because nobody can understand it. There's no message that is conveyed. There's no truth that is understood. There's no worship that is comprehended. Nothing benefits as a result of speaking in tongues without interpretation. So in that sense, tongues are useless in the body of Christ. That's why we don't practice group speaking in tongues. Or we don't allow that within our services without an interpretation, because it just doesn't do anybody any good. Now look at the questions that are asked here in this text. What will it profit you if I speak with tongues? And the answer is, there will be no benefit to us at all. What about the answer to the question in verse 7? What about instruments like flutes or harps? Uh, what if somebody just starts making noise out of those? Nobody knows what sound is being played. Nobody knows what symphony it came from because there was no symphony that it came from. It was simply a bunch of noise. And so what's the answer to the question? It won't be clear and no one will know what the instrument is saying. What about the answer to the question in verse 8? If the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? The answer, no one will prepare himself for battle. What about the question in the first part of verse 9? And, uh, of course, the answer is, it cannot be known what is spoken. The conclusion is, the gift of tongues is useless when spoken in front of others in the church. Verses 9b through 12. In fact, it can be harmful. If you look down to verse 23, it says, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will not they say that you are out of your mind? That's exactly what happens. And so church services that 
design themselves around groups speaking in tongues or disorderly speaking in tongues with no interpretation. That's exactly what people think when they attend services like that. They've gone nuts in that church. They're swinging from the chandeliers and they're doing all kinds of crazy things because that's exactly what Paul said would happen if there is no interpretation along with the tongues. Well, having said that, we have to also point out that there is a blessing of tongues within the body of Christ, verses 13 through 15. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. So in other words, with interpretation, the gift of tongues is a blessing because the church is built up. And I would refer you back to verse 5 as well. He who speaks with tongues... Uh, is inferior to the one who prophesies, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So tongues plus interpretation within the church service is a blessing to everyone because they can hear. You say, well, what's the advantage of that? And what, what good does it do to listen in to somebody talking to God in a language they don't understand? What's the benefit of that? Well, just imagine that if it happened this morning, somebody speaks in a tongue and then someone else interprets or the person who speaks in the tongue interprets. What are we hearing? We're hearing supernatural communication to God. We're hearing the interpretation of it. I like to think of it as very similar to a situation where I would be sitting in the same room with David as he's writing the Psalms. Boy, what an experience that would be. Uh, Just sitting there with David as the Lord is giving him this beautiful, incredible worship and these incredible prayers that he writes down. And and, and you're looking at what has just been written in Hebrew on the scroll and you're thinking, man, this is the, the Lord is working here right now. The Holy Spirit is communicating things to God through David. Uh, These prayers are so supernatural and so rich. This worship is so deep. The way that God is being extolled and the way his character is being elevated and exalted. Everything about this is just worship. It just draws me in. Well, similar to that analogy is what happens when tongues and interpretation take place within a church service. When it happens, we're eavesdropping into what a person has supernaturally communicated to God in a language that he or she has never learned. And that's very edifying. I remember being in school years ago, and uh, we had an ex-Catholic priest in our class, and he was an excellent musician. And he was also a charismatic. And uh, every once in a while... Uh, before class started and we were worshiping the Lord, he would get up out of his seat and he would go up to the piano up in front and he'd begin just playing and worshiping. And he would be singing to the Lord. Just like Paul said, I'll sing with the Spirit, I'll sing with my understanding also. He would just begin singing to the Lord in a tongue, uh, with the gift of tongues. It was it was beautiful in and of itself because the music was beautiful and he had a very very great voice but then the interpretation would begun to be sung and boy was it edifying i mean 
what an experience as we were uh, all joining in now with the worship that our brother Mark was communicating to the Lord in. And so it is within the body of Christ. So that there is a blessing of tongues in the body of Christ when mixed with interpretation. The next point is let's not be selfish with regard to the exercise of tongues within the church. Verses 16 through 19. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen, at your giving of thanks, since he doesn't understand what you say. This is referring to someone speaking in tongues without an interpretation in the church service. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all, which proves that Paul was a southerner. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so let's not be selfish regarding these things. If someone has the gift of tongues, of course they're excited about it and they would like to speak with tongues. But if there's no interpreter present, it would be selfish of them to go ahead and do so and make others uncomfortable and confuse people that are there without any interpretation present. And so Paul appeals to our selflessness and says we should shy away from our selfishness. And so we don't want to be selfish or self-focused because it's never supposed to be all about me anyway. Can you say that? It's not about me. me. Thank you. I I knew it was not about me. (laughs) Not about you, not about me, not about any of us. The bottom line is the church must be mature with regard to spiritual gifts. Verse 20, Brethren, do not be children in understanding, however in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In matters of the heart, in matters of sympathies, in matters of what we feel, don't be children. Concerning evil and wickedness, malice, be babes. In matters of the heart, sympathies and feelings, be mature. Now Paul's specifically talking here in verse 20 about the gift of tongues and its use in the church. So what's he calling for? He's calling for maturity regarding the use of the gift of tongues. It's unfortunate that the gift of tongues has been so maligned and misused within the church because it is a legitimate gift of the Spirit. It's unfortunate that some churches who don't practice the exercise of the gift of, of tongues in a biblical manner end up shooting themselves in the foot because they end up scaring people away from attending those services. And it's also unfortunate that those that feel the pressure to speak with tongues make a theology around it that says if you don't speak with tongues, then you're not really filled with the Spirit. And even worse than that, if you don't speak with tongues, you're not even saved. Well, neither of those positions can be supported biblically. The great mark of the filling with the Holy Spirit is love, Galatians chapter 5. The great evidence of receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is the ability and confidence to be Christ's witness, Acts 1.8. And so, uh, gift of tongues isn't necessarily an indicator of either of those. And it's 
too bad that there is within parts of the church a theology that says that you have to speak with tongues in order to be filled with the Spirit. And again, even worse, if you don't speak with tongues, you are not saved. And there's not a line in the Bible that would ever suggest even closely that sort of position. And it's just, it's just sad because it's, it's hurt those churches and it's affected negatively the overall cause of Christ. And so we need balance and we need biblical understanding with regard to these points. And so it's really up to the individual whether or not they're interested in speaking with tongues. I personally speak with tongues. I have since 1973. And, uh, but I speak with tongues privately. You've never heard me speak with tongues and maybe you never will. I don't know. Uh, that's not what it's about. I personally enjoy the gift. Uh, it happened to me, just by way of personal testimony and anecdote, it happened to me without me knowing a single thing about the gift of tongues. I was uh, filled with the Holy Spirit on August 6, 1973, and the week later ended up at a somehow a Pentecostal church in Burbank, California, visiting their evening service. We were there because a friend of mine and I had been uh, enjoying the messages of that preacher on the radio. We wanted to go hear Reverend Jerry Jones preach in person. So we went, and we didn't know anything about the church. It's a Pentecostal church. Went into the service, and before we got even halfway through the worship set, I was speaking in tongues. And they, being a Pentecostal church, didn't uh, at all try to discourage me. In fact, they sort of surrounded me and encouraged me, and so I ended up yelling in tongues that, that particular <laughs> evening, making quite a spectacle of myself without realizing that I was being a spectacle and uh, just thinking, well, this is an amazing thing. I didn't, and, and then I had to go and look in the Bible to find out just what happened to me. And uh, it was then later that I discovered that, well, you know, I've got this ability and God has given it to me and it's much like a, learning a language where you start out with some with a limited vocabulary, but as your faith increases, then your ability to communicate to God in that way also increases. And so that was the way it was with me, and it's, I'm sure, the way it is with most believers who begin to speak with tongues. And, you know, but I was looking forward to the next meeting, you know. So the Bible study that I went to that week uh, in Costa Mesa, I thought, okay, people are gathered together again. I can't wait to speak with tongues thinking that I had to be in a meeting to speak with tongues. And then I realized that if I did that at that particular meeting, it would be drawing a lot of attention to myself, and I'd be embarrassing myself and making other people uncomfortable, so I held back. And as we're in our little prayer group, I'm speaking very quietly, and so that nobody can really hear me, and I'm just enjoying the experience. And then later, I read in 1 Corinthians 14 and realized that that's exactly what I should have done. I did the right thing without even knowing that that was the right thing to do. A lot of times, that's the way I do right things, is without even knowing that it was the right thing to do. So it was sort of by accident. But, uh, you know, everybody has their own story who does speak with tongues. Uh, it's not a badge of, of uh, honor, necessarily. It's not certainly an indicator of spiritual maturity. It's just the way it is. And 
So I would just say if you are hesitant about it and you're not interested in it and, and it's not something that you feel is for you, then that's fine. There's no, there's no class system within the body of Christ with regard to the gift of tongues. The most important thing is agape. Is that flowing from our lives? Is that operating in and through us? That's what we want more than anything else. Okay, just one more thought, and then we're just about done this morning on this subject. The gift of tongues, just in summary, things that we haven't really talked about too much, the benefit of the gift of tongues, what it actually does. Look at verse 2. One who speaks in tongues is actually speaking mysteries to God. In other words, communicating to God in, in ways that that person who is speaking doesn't understand. And so it's a very deep level of conversation and communication to the Lord and therefore desirable. In verse 4, we learn that the gift of tongues is edifying. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. He builds himself up. Now, at first, it looks like from this verse that the gift of tongues is a very self-oriented spiritual gift. But let's look at it a little deeper and realize that the person who speaks with tongues and builds himself up or herself up is actually stronger. And what does a stronger person have? I mean, stronger than they were before they spoke with tongues. What does a stronger person have? Greater strength to be able to be a blessing to others. So it seems like it's something just for the speaker, but in reality it ends up being something that is a benefit and a blessing to others. You know, what tree have you ever seen that just constantly produces fruit, produces fruit, produces fruit? Apples grow, apples grow, apples grow, but there's no connection to the soil, or there's no water from the, from the rain, or there's no sun from, uh, sunshine from the sun. That tree won't continue to produce fruit. It needs to be strengthened. It needs to be built up. It needs to be edified, right? So the gift of tongues enables, it's just one way that a believer who has that gift can build himself or herself up in order to be stronger, in order to bear fruit for others. That's the whole idea. Verse 5 gives us the idea that the gift of tongues is desirable. If the great apostle Paul wished that all of the Corinthian church spoke with tongues, then it must be a desirable thing. Otherwise, he would not have made that comment. The gift of tongues also, down to verse 14, is prayer with my human spirit. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. And as Pastor Chuck likes to say, it's really the bypassing of one's intellect as one prays. My intellect is not necessarily engaged because I don't understand what I'm saying, but my spirit is very much engaged as I'm praying with my spirit in the exercise of the gift of tongues. Verse 16 tells us that speaking in tongues has to do with blessing God. It's a way to bless God. If you bless with the Spirit, a reference to speaking with tongues, it's a way to bless God. Of course, that's something that is very desirable and important for all of us to bless the Lord. And then in that same passage in verses 16 and 17, 
we can see that speaking with tongues is also a way of giving thanks to God. At the end of verse 16, verse 17, you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. It is a way to give thanks to God. So the gift of tongues, speaking mysteries to God, it builds up the believer, it's desirable, verse 5, it's prayer with the human spirit, it's a way to bless God, it's a way to give thanks to God, and all of that is in one's own individual prayer life. It's within their own heart, this isn't uh, referring mainly to the public demonstration or exercise of the gift of tongues, because what did Paul say in verse 19? He said that in the church he'd rather speak five words that he and others could understand than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So the whole thing that Paul is calling for here in chapter 14, in addition to describing the gift of tongues and pointing out its limitations and its benefits, he's basically calling for spiritual maturity. And this, prevent, this pro- provides the, the basic theme through the whole text. What Paul is calling for is the ability to be spiritually mature with regard to spiritual gifts. Now, let's just talk about the person who does not and has not prayed for or been aware of the spiritual gift that they have received. The Bible says we've all received at least one. Suppose that there's a person who has not prayed for and obeyed verse 1, desire spiritual gifts. They've never prayed for a spiritual gift to be given to them, to be used of God with spiritual gifts. They've never discovered what their spiritual gifts are. Let's just assume that type of a person for a moment. And and then we make a comment about a person like that. We say that person doesn't understand the heart of God with regard to spiritual gifts. Because the Lord wants to use every single Christian in the life of some other Christian. And the Lord wants to use every single Christian in affecting those that are not Christians with the gospel message. The Lord wants to use our lives, and we can't be used without supernatural enablements, which is what spiritual gifts are. So if somebody is not oriented towards spiritual gifts at all, then what that says is they're not oriented toward God's heart for them, and for the church, and for the world. I can't be a non-gift guy and have my heart right with God. I need the spiritual gifts. We need the spiritual gifts because they are primarily for others. Again, the overall tenor of the passage, it's having to do with spiritual maturity. Part of spiritual maturity is to do what verse 1 says, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you might prophesy. Desire to live a life that is a blessing to others. You know, it's sort of like, the attitude of teamwork, all for one and one for all. I watched the Stanford game last night as they beat up on Arizona. Good for Stanford. What if the quarterback, Andrew Luck, hadn't shown up last night for the game? Well, Stanford would have been hurting, and they may not have won the game. But what if the team trainer hadn't shown up? 
then the three star players that got hurt for Stanford during the game couldn't have been treated properly. What if the fullback decided that it was all about him? If he wasn't going to get the ball, then he wasn't going to block. Well, then Stephen Taylor, the running back, you notice how I'm second week in a row, sports analogies. <laughs> Stephen Taylor, the running back, wouldn't have rushed for over 100 yards as he did. What if the left tackle decided he didn't need to block on the play when the quarterback threw the touchdown pass? Then the quarterback gets sacked and there's no touchdown pass and they don't score. See, everybody's needed on a team. Everybody. The trainer is needed. The fullback's needed. The left tackle is needed. The quarterback's needed. Everybody's needed. And so Paul would say, be mature about the use of spiritual gifts. Be a team player. Join the team. Connect with the team. Find out how the Lord wants to use your life. Bottom line, as we've said already, it's not about me. Uh, And here's something that I've discovered, and I hope you've discovered it too. There is no life on planet me. There's no life there. There's life on planet Earth, but there's no life on planet me. There's nothing there. You know, if I live for myself and myself only, there's no life there. It's just death. It is about others, though. In Philippians 2, Paul tells the Philippian church, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He talks about Jesus' great sacrifice in becoming one of us to be a servant for all of us and die eventually on the cross for our sins. That's what it's all about, and that's the tone of the passage. And boy, do we need that tone of this passage uh, with regard to speaking about the gift of tongues. Because uh, ironically and unfortunately, Christians have used their tongues in talking about tongues to destroy the body of Christ. And that's too bad. May it not be that way for us. Amen? Lord, we thank you for this time and your word, and we thank you for just being able to learn your heart for us in ministry and what you have for us. And Each one of us, Lord, have been given at least one spiritual manifestation and enablement. And it's my prayer for your people, Lord Jesus, that each and every believer would be just very, very zealous to discover the spiritual gifts that you've given them in order that they might be a blessing to others, to Christians and to non-Christians alike. Lord, that your kingdom might be expanded, that your glory might be made known. Lord, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, cause it to happen, we pray. Stir up each of our hearts to be zealous, white-hot, in our desire for spiritual gifts and their exercise within the body of Christ. So thank you for your plan, Lord. And as we're praying right now, I just want to say just a quick word to anybody who may be visiting this morning who's never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus as Savior and as Lord. Spiritual gifts are given uh, as God's gift to believers in Christ. And so it all starts there. But first you have to believe. You have to make a commitment to the Lord Jesus. 
have to ask him to come into your life to be your savior. The good news is that God loves you and he wants to be your savior and he wants to save you from your sins. That's the good news. And the good news is that Jesus died on a cross to pay for your sins. And he also rose from the dead. Now the decision is yours. What are you going to do with Jesus? You can't just ignore him because he won't go away. And he is the son of God. What will you do with Jesus? Will you trust him? Will you let him love you? Will you let him be your savior and Lord? If you're here this morning and you've never prayed to receive Christ in your life, you can do that right now. Anybody here, as we're praying, want to make that commitment and pray a prayer to receive Jesus into your life, would you just raise your hand right where you're seated this morning? Just hold it up high so I can see it. We'll pray with you. Anyone here this morning? Lord, we just pray that you'd bless this time of worship and bless this time of communion as we spend time meditating on you and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.